Hey, welcome back to Be a Podcast. It is Jill Herman here, and I'm really thrilled to bring Holly Pickerel to you. So she's been a listener of Be a Podcast for the entire time we have been live. So at this point, two and a half years. And she's someone I met years ago when I was doing some coaching programs before I knew that people actually were coaches. When I was in the space of direct sales, network marketing, multi-level marketing, whatever you want to call it. And I remember her as like a standout. You know, there are certain people you come across and you're like, there's something special about this person. And we stayed in touch. And I remember actually saying that to her. I remember approaching her on Instagram and saying, you're so much bigger than what you're doing. I mean, who am I to say this? I think something bigger than me is saying this through me. No pressure, none of my beeswax, but... I just think you should be doing something different, bigger. Like I see you coaching people. I see you inspiring tons of women. And she's like, oh my gosh, thank you. I really received that. I feel that too. I'm just not really sure how to go about that. And I don't remember if she discovered Joy Harrington through a connection that I made for her or through my podcast. But either way, she talks about that in the interview today. And she connected with her. A lot of you love Joy. She's amazing. She's been on our show. And she has blossomed into an amazing coach. But I want to say something significant to this story. And by the way, if you're new, welcome to BU Podcast. I'm happy you're here. So I made a post on Instagram recently and I called it Don't Believe the IG Hype. Because I've been pitched many times, as I've told you, I get emails multiple times a day, people who are representing people who they believe will be a good fit for our show. And I've gotten to the point now where I don't even read them, not out of arrogance, but because of overwhelm. Like I just, I can't get to all of them. And I have so many stacked up that I would feel like I should probably go back to the beginning of the pile, beginning of the stack, beginning of the line. And this one, just like something in my body told me to like read it. And I read it and I was pitched by a company representing a woman who to this day, has the most watched 60 Minutes episode. She's a New York Times, number one New York Times bestselling author. And she has just an unbelievable story. Why am I telling you that? Because I looked her up on Instagram and I expected to see, what do we expect to see? The blue check mark and tons of quote unquote followers, right? The IG hype. I expected to find like 1.6 million followers. Well, sure as hell would have at least 300 followers. Well, maybe 116,000 followers. 60? 40? 11,000 followers? No. It was like 3,000 people. And that really hit me. I'm like, okay, so she's written a number one best-selling New York Times best-selling book. Selling book. She's been on every show from Dr. Phil to 60 Minutes to, I mean the major news organizations. She has spoken all over the world. Newsweek chose her as one of the most courageous women of all time. Like, how is this possible? And I thought, I know how it's possible because of impact and authenticity, realness, truth. People who are not chasing followers and trying to jump up and down and show you how good they are, they just got their head down and they're doing the thing. And that's how I would describe Holly Pickerel. So when you look at her account, you might say, oh my gosh, she has an account about the size of mine. We just don't realize, I think many of us, including myself, how much that sort of brainwashing, I guess we could call it, 
affects us. You know, when I look on Instagram, if we're really honest, there is this this sort of like legitimacy that happens when we look through the filter of Instagram. If someone has the blue check mark or if they have lots and lots of followers, we see them differently whether we admit it or not. And I don't think it's about a ranking of who's a better person, right? But it's who's more legit? Who should I listen to? Who should I learn from? Who should I follow? And once I discovered this person who I won't reveal her name because she is going to be on our show in a couple months, and I saw her following and then I saw what she does and what she has done and how well known she is and that she's, you know, personally met President Obama. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, (laughs) why do we even think about that? And that also coincided with my overwhelming feeling lately that I've shared with you about not having any desire to engage on social media, not having any desire to try and grow a social media account or quote unquote brand. I shared that with our guest today in a private off, not off camera, but offline, uh, not on the podcast conversation. And she gave me the best coaching, the best. She's really good. So you will love Holly. You will fall in love with her heart. She is what I just described, real I mean, just authentic, honest, not trying to be anything she's not, totally confident in what she's doing, on a mission to make a difference in this world, and she is doing that. So if you are someone who just found our podcast, it didn't say in the introduction like what we're about. So we are covering, I would say like five different pillars or five different categories is how I would break down our show. And it may not be obvious in the title, but these are all woven in and out and through episodes. And here are the categories. The first one is spirituality, somatics, and trauma healing. Those could be three categories, but that's one category. The second is unconventional medicine. We haven't done a whole lot with that, but we're going to be doing more. Like biohacking, how to be healthy and in the sort of non-traditional way. Conscious relationships is number three. Conscious parenting is the fourth category or pillar. And the fifth is creative self-expression. So back to our guest today. Holly Pickrell is a somatic breathwork practitioner and a heart-centered life coach who is passionate about helping successful women create lives that feel as good as they may already look on paper. She empowers women to step outside the boxes of their titles and expectations to discover their deepest fulfillment. She did this for herself, and now she does this with and for others, and she's just a breath of fresh air. So here's Hallie Pickerel. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. 
And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, Holly, I know we're both so happy that this day has finally come. We've been discussing this for quite some time and timing is always divine. It's the perfect time for you to be with us. Welcome to Be You. Oh, thank you so much, Jill. I am so excited and a little nervous, but mostly excited to be here. I love that you said you admitted that you were a little nervous. See, this is what I love about you. That you're so real. Yeah, I'm a little nervous too. I mean, (laughs) good. you know, so... I started to ask you what you get really, really, really passionate about when you're talking to women. But before that, I don't always ask everyone's story, but will you share a bit of your story? Like, how did you get to be where you are now? Because it's such a powerful part of who you are. Yeah. So obviously, I wasn't always a coach. I wasn't always a breathwork practitioner. Um, I feel like it's been quite a journey to get here. And I just feel like every single step has been this constant decision making of, wait a minute, that's not it. We've got to pivot. Wait a minute. That's not it. We've got to pivot. My background, I was actually a teacher and um, I live in Kentucky. And so I was a teacher for seven, eight years of my life. And I really, truly craved freedom and time flexibility more than anything. And so that led me to a really amazing network marketing community. And I began building a network marketing business. I fell in love with so many things from that business until about 2020. when <laughs> We were in the middle of the pandemic. You know, I remember there's, you know, you have these moments in your life, Jill, where you're like, that seems so insignificant at the time, but it was actually like this awakening moment where like this conversation, this little conversation that happens in the grocery store ends up being like this spiritual awakening for you. And um, my company was a wellness company, you know, very well. And somebody that I had known for years and she followed me on social media and she said, you know, you've done your personal branding so well. Every time I see you, I think of roasted vegetables. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> At first I thought this is wow. But I was like, this does not feel like a compliment. <laughs> we just have to pause because I wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah. Right? When I think of you, I think of it. I was waiting and you're like roasted vegetables. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, being with a wellness company, I really made fruits and vegetables kind of my life's mission. And it served a time and a season. But I remember that conversation, having this kit in my stomach. And I immediately felt this massive ball of what I now know to recognize is this is not it. And it's interesting because I'd felt that a lot before, but I didn't know. I didn't have the somatic and the bodily awareness to trust myself. To be able to say, oh, it's time, like something's off here. It's time to pivot. And so I just remember thinking like, wow, you are spending a lot of your time on something that's actually meant to take up a little bit of your time. And it's really that conversation that sent me on a journey of uncovering and discovering what makes me me, what are my gifts, what are my unique strengths, and what do I want to spend most of my days doing? Because if being known for roasted vegetables and fruits and vegetables is not it, I'm clearly missing my mark. Um, what is it then? And so that led to so much curiosity. And in that year, it's actually so fascinating because, um, you know, you had started your podcast at that point, I feel like, 
And by 2021, I remember hearing a really incredible woman on your on your show, Joy Harrington. And I did not know I was searching at that point, but I was searching. I was really at the height of my network marketing career at that point. But I remember feeling like if I continue this path, it's still more of that feeling of so much of my time is being spent in an area that I don't think I'm meant to spend so much time on. Not that I want to leave. It's just I knew there was more in me to give. And there was more in me to serve. And so I remember hearing Joy on your podcast. And I thought, wow, there's something there. And she was a coach. She was hosting a retreat that same month. And so within 10 days, I canceled an event that I was supposed to speak at and be a part of. I didn't cancel the event, but I canceled my attendance at the event that I always put on here locally with our network marketing team. And I left and I went to Joy's retreat in Scottsdale, Arizona. Didn't know a soul. Um, Had never really even been to very many things outside of network marketing events. I remember that. At least hadn't been to them without my other network marketing friends. And I remember when I went, I thought, oh my goodness, this is opening a door to something that was not open before. And that's really where so many things launched for me. But it began with that story of this is not it. And then beginning to look at my life and examine my life and go, wait a minute, there are more. This is not it. And I began to look at the way that I exercised. And it was like, this is not it. I began to look at my relationships that felt like so much surface level superficiality. And I thought, this is not it. (laughs) I began to look at my marriage, which was like completely wrapped up with me being in masculine energy mode and being too much of a leader in that role, not letting him rise into masculinity. And I began to think, this is not it. You know, it was like every area I started to look and go, if I were looking at my life and it were this massive closet, I would literally be wrapping everything up in trash bags and taking it to Goodwill. And so over the past two to three years, I feel like that's what my life has been. It's been this whole series of, you know, before this, I was like the how-to girl. Like I did Facebook lives for years and I was like, how to have the perfect morning routine, you know, how to read 25 books in a year, how to roast the perfect pan of vegetables. Apparently I went really deep with that one. (laughs) And what I began to realize is life is really less about how to. At some point, the how to's don't matter. If you're taking in all this stuff, is not a, if that's really not aligned for you, your purpose, and where you want to go, where you're being called to go, without letting go of what doesn't serve you anymore. And so I feel like my whole life for several years was just nothing but how can we let go so we can bring in more of what we do want. And I feel like that's why I am where I am today, building a coaching business that brings me so much joy serving clients from the fullness of my actual gifts, spending my days in my gifts and hiring help to delegate what's outside of my gift that's still needed, you know, focusing on my family and truly being able to say my family comes first before my career, you know, honoring my husband and having this incredible relationship that we didn't have before because I was hanging on to so many things that weren't needed for what comes for me in life. Yeah. Feel like I chased a big rabbit there, but <laughs> no, I I wanted you to share your story because I mean we could have talked for three hours just about how you got from where you were a few years ago to now, but it's such a significant piece for me. One because I know you, because I watched it not front row seat, right? I got to watch it unfold. You and I would talk here and there. I was scrolling, I was listening to you, but I went into Instagram to scroll back to a message from 
September 10th of 2020. I don't know what I was talking about, but I said to you, there's an online conference on Saturday and I feel like it's perfect for you because I see you building a bigger audience online. The tickets start at $29 and you'll get a recording. It's not a boring Zoom. I think you'll love it. And you said, send it to me. Oh, it's so cute. You took a selfie and in the background is your, your back in the, in the mirror. And you said, I mean, this girl brings a lot to the table. Yeah. Oh, you know what it is? Oh, this is hilarious. This is, this is what I love, Holly. <laughs> what was it? It's when you didn't know that you had your, your onesie unsnapped. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The time that I went to Kroger. Tell them. Tell them. <laughs> this is why I love you. Yeah, I had my thong bodysuit hanging out the back of my um, pants. I didn't button it back up. So essentially, I was walking around in my dirty underwear hanging <laughs> out the back of my pants. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I saw what it was. It was it was because I had just discovered Lindsay Schwartz and Powerhouse Women. Yeah. And I was messaging you. But what I want people to hear, though, is that the reason I said that to you was because I could see something in you that you didn't see yet. And other people saw it, too. I didn't see roasted vegetables. I'll tell you that much. Good. (laughs) I saw someone who, if they wanted to, I mean, it doesn't matter if they wanted to, they could have a huge impact and have a huge online community, not for the ego, not for the money, but because I, it was so obvious looking at you, Holly, that you were so much bigger. You had this beautiful message to share, but you just didn't know what it was yet. I didn't know what it was. Only God knew. But I look at you now just a couple years later and it's, it's beautiful that you didn't just decide what you wanted to keep and what you didn't want. And, you know, you didn't just decide to open yourself up to new ways of thinking and being. You were then able to turn that into a career that you love, that you still put second to your family and then help other women discover that as well. And and no one has to do that. No one listening has to. You never have to make this into a career. But the fact that you had the courage to do that shows that that calling was there for a reason. Yeah, it really was. And when you, well, first of all, I just want to go back and say thank you because I always felt that you believed in me. You know, even before I could see what was possible for me, even before I had left some of these, you know, little boxes that I'd put around myself of, you know, possibility and what was creatively available to me. I always felt that from you you know, back even in 2018, when I remember partnering with you and, you know, hiring you to do a course that you had had offered at the time, I just always felt that from you and um, hung on to things like that. You know, I really did. But when you talk about courage, I think for me, the deepest courage that it took here was the courage to be willing to step outside of some of my relationships and to say, you know, I want to do this for me and they might not approve of it. And there was so much of that. There's so much of that. And when I look back at really some of the biggest lessons that I think I was meant to learn during this transition, it wasn't just the transition of being a network marketing leader to now, you know, kind of an affiliate only. So happy to be that. That's really all I wanted to be. I changed my mind and it's okay to change your mind about things. Um, But even to, you know, some of these other areas, you know, many of my friends at the time were very caught up in fundamentalist religious legalism, where everything is good or bad, right or wrong, black or white. And so much of my spiritual journey was even evolving at that time, you know, to be able to step into something like coaching that wasn't approved by those friends. Mm. (laughs) They didn't get it. You, You know, they didn't get it like they told you or you just kind of knew from what they believed. I guess. 
and I assumed, but my assumptions were laced with a lot of just clear insight based on previous conversations. And sure enough, when I started, you know, sharing and showing up online as a coach and building my coaching business, stepping away from the art marketing, I did. I did have some conversations with people who did not approve. Um, I was unfollowed by family. I was excluded from even a leadership group that I was involved in here locally. I mean, it was, yeah, it was hard. But I look back and I think actually it wasn't that hard. What was hard about it was I was new to things like that because never in my life had I given people a reason to be misunderstood. And I had confused belonging to a social group with fitting in to a social group. They're very different things. Oh, let's talk about that. That's such a beautiful point, Holly. Yeah. So fitting in, when you fit in in a group, whether that's a professional group or a friend group that you've always been a part of, fitting in reflects the need for that group to know like the, this is our standard. This is what we expect. And you either fit into that and you match that or you're out. And for years of my life, I wanted to be that. Like I even flashed back to in high school. Do you know what I was voted in high school? Well, best looking. <laughs> Thank you. No, not that one. <laughs> I was voted. I was mid senior, but I was also best smile. And I had been voted best smile for years in a row because I made it my last mission to smile at everyone so I could avoid conflict with anyone. Oh, say it again. Say it again. I made it my mission to smile at everyone so I could avoid conflict with anyone. And, you know, Jill, that worked until it didn't work anymore because it was that very line, that very thing that like was keeping me in these social circles and scenes of being approved and fitting in, but never feeling like I had true belonging, you know? We've talked a lot about the changes that have happened in my career and with my family and even like with exercise already, which we may get into that more. But I think the biggest thing that happened for me over the past few years was I realized that truly the wealth of life for me, and this comes from a dear friend and coach of mine, Tiffany Mass, is relationships. Like relationships are where the true wealth of life happens. And a lot of my opportunities I realized hadn't come because I hadn't found myself in those next level relationships. And it wasn't just that I wanted that for opportunity's sake professionally. Like I wanted to know that I had a group of people that I could be safe with and I could be accepted for me. And when I decided to make a career pivot, I wasn't going to be kicked out of the table. But yeah, I just began to realize that what I actually wanted, what I had were a lot of surface level, superficial relationships. And that's what you get when your life's mission is, I'm going to smile at everyone so I can avoid conflict with anyone. But what I actually craved were deep, meaningful, tribal connections. And I wanted that first with my family. And I wanted that with people around me, both professionally and personally. And I did. I lost two very significant relationships in my life over the past couple of years. And it's been so hard. You know, we talk a lot about when you go through breakups, like with a significant other, but we don't talk a lot about the friend breakups that you go through. (laughs) And like, I felt so unprepared for that, like just crushed my soul, but for the best of good. Yeah. You know, I know you know all about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just listening, I, when you talked about the difference between fitting in and belonging, and then mm-hmm. you you shared your newfound experience, like that is belonging. Like you said, yeah, you're not going to get kicked out 
for changing careers. You're not going to get kicked out for even something they don't approve of. What if you left your husband? Like you're not going to get kicked out because the belonging is so deep. It's about the core of who you are. It's not about how you show up in the world and your choices that you make per se. I only say per se because clearly you can have deep connection and belonging. And if you you know decided to do something horrible, they'll probably say we no longer align. But it's such an, an interesting thing if you've never danced with that. You know, there are so many women listening who are who've never experienced that. And Either because they're playing safe and they're the person smiling to make sure there's no conflict ever. Um, they're in a little box and it feels comfortable and no judgment because I was there. Or they don't even have the craving for that. Like they're, they're really happy where they are. And what would you say to, because I know that, that although it hurt you to lose a few friendships, as you said, you don't regret the change. And you also probably don't regret the years that you were friends with those people. Completely not. Like some of the sweetest memories, you know, and, and so much love and respect for those people, like for the role that they played in my life, the years that they played that, like I would not be who I am today without these people do. So much of even like core values could be traced back to those people that remain and continue. And although it makes me sad that our paths haven't continued, there's still so much love for them, even if we aren't a match for each other anymore, you know? But I think for me, like, it's made so much room for what needed to come in. I think so many times the reason we can't invite new things in is because there's no room in our life. You know, there's no room. We're saying yes to things that are half-hearted and they're not full-bodied out of fear or out of like the unwillingness to go, wow, I cleaned out my closet. Now there's no clothes to wear. You know, I cleaned out my friend group. Now I don't have anybody to go to brunch with. (laughs) Now there is no person to say, Hey, I need, I need something, you know? And I think for me, I avoided that loneliness and that solitude for so long. I felt like I had to be surrounded by everyone, but in that solitude of not only losing maybe some of these two deepest friendships, but just a lot of other things that took up a lot of my time, professionally, personally, uh, activities that I did, networks. I mean, I, I spent five, six years of my life. I was a networking queen. Who can I meet? How can I get to know them better? I never had a still moment. But what I found was in that still moment that I gained from losing some of these things, that's when I found me. That's when I was able to uncover who am I? What does make me tick? What do I want to do? If we're cleaning out the clothes in my closet, what new clothes do I get to bring in now? You know, and some of the deepest relationships I've ever had have emerged from that blank spot. So I think we just, we fear the blank space. We fear that, oh my gosh, if I'm going to let this go, there's going to be this blank void because we avoid solitude. We avoid the void. We avoid the void. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would just, if I could look back and tell her anything, I think it would be just keep in mind, you're making room for the new things that God wants to bring into your life that are going to be so much better than you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I heard someone say that avoidance is dancing around the void. Yeah, completely. We do it through numbing, through our phone, through business, through whatever. And, I, and when you were talking about how you were sort of cleaning out your closet, Yeah. I can imagine that you weren't just saying yes to like activities and things that were causing clutter, but I would guess you were also 
saying yes to ways of being that were causing clutter, like the need for this, the chasing of perfection. Mm -hmm. Like, can you talk about that? Like, how did Holly used to show up? And now that you are centered and grounded and whole in yourself, you don't need to show up that way anymore. So that part of your closet is cleared out. Yeah, that's like really the biggest thing beneath all of this. It's who you're being and how you're showing up as. And so I think when I look back over the past few years, I really just see this journey of this kind of girl stepping into womanhood. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, how did it take me 33 years to get here? But it's beautiful and I'm so glad. But, you know, yeah, I think the biggest thing before is I had a crap ton of tom- trauma in my life. So much trauma that I had never looked at, never addressed. We were talking with some of our close friends the other night and he used this phrase, zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. Have you heard that? Zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. And I thought, wow, if there could be a theme of my life up until, you know, 30, 32, all those years, it would have been zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. And so I just had a lot of repressed stuff that I had never worked through. Things from childhood, things from earlier in our marriage, you know, mistakes that I'd made that I was holding myself to this terrible shaming standard for you know, unforgiveness. And I think the biggest thing is that trauma and that really poor view of myself and low self-worth kept me in this constant mode of chasing. I was chasing achievement. I was chasing, I hear you say like the next carrot that's dangled in front of you. I chased the carrot in every area of my life. It was like, A lot of people who avoid things, you know, everybody kind of has their own little drug, whether it's a drug or it's alcohol or it's spending or it's overworking. I feel like mine was like a completed to-do list. That was like my drug because if I stayed busy, I didn't have to sit with myself. And if I kept going, I didn't have to listen to what was going on within. And I also don't really feel like I had the tools to know what to do with it. Holly, can I ask you this though? I just want to pause for a second. But but you didn't know that, right? Like you said, I was doing the to-do list. And kept myself busy so I didn't have to. You didn't know that's what you were doing. No, I didn't know. Right? I, because hearing that, if I'm listening to that, I might go, how did you know that? You discovered yeah. that later. And you can talk a minute about how in the world you discovered that. But sorry for the interruption. So you were saying, I was keeping myself busy, doing my to-do list. Yeah. Keep, keep interrupting me. So I can dive deeper into some <laughs> stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I was. I, w- I didn't know what I was doing. I just know that if I got that little dopamine hit of completing something, I felt better. And then all of a sudden it was like, you complete something, you get to feel better. You complete something, you get to feel better. You go run a marathon, you feel better. You knock off the four uh, training runs that you need to do during your week, you get to feel better. And I attached feeling better. It's exactly what I said earlier. I had a life that looked good on paper, beloved in my community beloved in my church, beloved in my family, the darling of my local network marketing community. You need a speaker? Yes, I'll get up and speak for you. Of course, I'll do that. But inside, when I laid my head down on my pillow at night, I did not feel good. And I thought at the time, the issue was my mind. It's like, oh, you need to be more grateful. Like you said earlier, oh, you're not thinking about this properly. I even convinced myself that I was afraid of success. And that's why when I completed these things and I still felt bad, it's like, oh, you're afraid of success. That's why you can't just enjoy it. You're trying to sabotage it. But no, it wasn't. It was, I was following that advice. Just keep doing what you're doing, but do more of it to a detriment. When you're in the wrong lane for your life, 
when you're in the wrong lane for your life and trauma and unprocessed emotions, the inability to understand and listen to what's actually going on beneath your ruminating mind, but to listen and hear your heart, to hear and download like spiritual direction for your life. When you don't have that, you're going to end up being in all the wrong lanes going at the end of the day. Wow, I'm laying my head on my pillow at night and I still don't feel good about this day. So I'll wake up and do more things tomorrow. (laughs) And you'll ask advice from people in the same lane. They're just a further ahead of you in the lane. And you're like, well, Sally, I'm feeling unfulfilled. And we, and then we judge Sally, but now you and I don't. We say the people that were telling you to just work harder and they were giving you the best advice they knew how to give because Completely. they're in the same lane and only God can see what lane you're supposed to be in, but you weren't tuning into that message. You were tuning into what's in that lane. And then once you unclutter and declutter and take the trash out and you center yourself and you breathe and you don't do the to-do list and you just be, right? Then all of a sudden you're able to tune in and God's like, okay, are you ready to hear it now? This is what you're supposed to do. So you leave that, let's say, pool and you go over to something completely different. And then you're like, oh, I can't judge those people for giving me that quote unquote horrible advice. It was actually great advice if I meant was meant to be there. And sad for them that they can't say, oh, she was just in the wrong pool. Because you and I both know hardly anyone can say that because they haven't grown enough themselves. But your newfound belonging, your newfound tribe, everyone you know in your life now would say, we're so happy for you that you switched locations or whatever you want to say. We want you to be where you belong. It's so perfect to say, be you. But that's what this podcast is about. Truly figuring out who are you yeah. and just be her and it, everything's going to be good. Yeah. When you were talking about how, you know, you don't know that in the beginning, you're just doing all these things because it's what you've always done. I think for me, how did I start to learn that? Like you asked me that, like, how did I start to figure this out? It was, I think, number one, I ended up being guided. Everything's always come to me through relationships, Jill. Like when I feel guided to a person, it's usually because there's a message or there's something from that person that I'm meant to hear. And I remember I just started developing some relationships with people at that time who were very comfortable expressing emotions in ways that I never had been because zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket, right? (laughs) (laughs) And add a smile. Yes, add a smile. I'm fine. I'm fine. Meanwhile, your leg is like about to fall off behind (laughs) you. You know, that's who I was for years. And as I started to develop relationships with people who were much more comfortable with feminine energy, being in feminine, expressing emotion, being really honest about the communication of your heart more than the communication of your head, I began to actually dig into my emotions and I realized that they had a gift, you know, like for me, I started to notice I felt sad a lot, even though I was smiling on the surface. And it's like, well, what is sadness? The gift of sadness is sadness alerts you that you feel the absence of something or the loss of something. And so one of the things that I remember happening is I remember leaving this like networking scene that I was a part of all the time. And I'm driving away and everybody's smiling. Da, 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 da. And I was just hit with this immense sadness. And it's like, why? Like, why, do you, why do you feel sad there? You know, it should have been a happy feeling. And in that moment, I remember thinking the reason I feel sad is because I feel the loss of like the absence of connection here. And so I began to say like, okay, if I feel sad because there isn't connection, there's a clue. The clue is you want more true connection in your life. 
you know? And so then I started trying to connect deeper with some of the people that were already there. And as I opened up more of my heart and my heart's message and my story to some of the people that were in my life at the time, that is why some of the repelling started, you know, which is why like you have to be okay with that because sometimes when you don't open up and speak from your heart, you're keeping things in your life for far too long when you're actually meant to repel things that aren't meant for you. I had to become okay with being a repellent yes. to others. And in the beginning, I remember when I started speaking like this, it was like, it's so funny. You know, sometimes when you feel like somebody can't hear you or feel you or you don't resonate with them, what do you do? You want to speak louder. <laughs> so I did. I started speaking louder in a lot of these relationships. And I look back and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, of course they were repelled. But even that was just a, a part of my journey in learning in learning to understand when you resonate and when you're meant to be a part of somewhere and when you're not, when it's time to move forward. But it was that being able to notice my emotions and feel what they were telling me, you know, even like anger. I felt anger and deep frustration in some of my relationships. And anger is a sign that a boundary has been crossed. And so it's like, okay, if that boundary was crossed, how can I start to use my voice to write that then? you know, in ways that I had never used my voice still. And um, I still feel like I'm very much, I mean, just a few years in to this journey myself. And it's just amazing how fast things have changed, though. Mm-hmm. What about this, Holly? What about, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people believe, and I probably am one of them, that most people who are into breathwork and especially a breathwork expert, breathwork coach, they're this very sort of hippy dippy new age, you know, they've got the look, you know, the whole look. And you look at you and you don't look like the stereotypical breathwork coach. And I think it's okay to say that out loud because I think there are people out there who aren't open to it because of they think it's this new age hippy dippy, whatever you want to call it. And one, they're afraid. Some of that might be programming, some of that might be come from religion and it's not true, but some of it might be too that they don't recognize themselves in the coaches. And so I'm, I want to talk about that for a minute. Like, how did you feel when you first got introduced to breath work? Why in the world do you decide to become an, a coach and help other people with that? And do you, do you see my point about how you don't look like the stereotype? Yes. Okay. What would you say yes. about that? Yeah. Because when I went to breath work practitioner training, I very much felt like the minority, <laughs> you know? but it was good. Like I wanted to be in rooms like that, but I love this question because I think everybody has their differentiator. The hippy-dippy breathwork person, they have their person that they're meant to work with. And for somebody like me, I really truly feel like I'm meant to welcome people who are brand new to breathwork to the practice and to help feel really safe and really comfortable. So like that guides even how I market for breathwork. But yeah, completely. When I came to breathwork, the first time I did a session... It was through a coaching mastermind. And I remember thinking, what the heck was that? Like, what was that? The drums and like the cues and like words that were being used that I had never really used at that time, especially surrounding emotions. And I remember thinking, I don't know what just happened, but it was incredible and I need more of it. And I felt drawing to it. And so as I began my own breathwork practice, the thing that it did for me is, you know, I told you, zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. I was emotionally constipated and I had been for years. And so breathwork gave me a safe space to express emotion and to be received by other people who said your sadness is welcome here. 
your rage is welcome here. And let me tell you, when I started breathwork, I was rage on a mat. <laughs> I was yelling and punching things. I was the girl in a group breathwork class that everybody's like, get all the pillows and bring them forward. And I also felt so much of that coming from right here and right here. Uh, and if, I know that you all who are listening can't see this. I'm pointing to my neck and my chest. And like that pent up emotion was all tied to I hadn't used my voice for years. And so in breath work, I was on a mat in a room of people who were able to say, it's safe for you to yell. It's safe for you to get it out if you need to get it out. And so that's what drew me to breath work. And the first thing that I thought about it when I began considering becoming a practitioner is, number one, how many of the people that I was working with needed that? Because at that point, so much of the clients especially back then, not so much now that I had begun to work with and even a small level with like personal branding and social media strategy. The reason they struggled to be authentic online was just like me. They struggled with online authenticity because they didn't have permission to use their voice. And when you have all of these pent up emotions that you think are wrong and bad and you don't have freedom to express them and you definitely don't have safety in the people around you to be received in that, that's an issue for your whole life. And so I just knew that if I could become a practitioner, I could help women who feel as constipated as I did at the time, be able to release some of that steam and to be able to release and express some of that pressure in ways that would give them not only access to more clarity, but the ability to start to trust that emotions aren't bad in themselves. But when you depress them and suppress them, that's when problems arise for sure. So I just had such a heart for women who were walking around with so much pent up crap. And, you know, for me, that's really the take that I take with breath work. I don't make it some big, like, you know, spiritual thing. I make it more about emotional freedom, emotional permission and stress release. And I think everybody has their angle and that's my angle. And that's what works for me today. I love that you put it that way because for me, it's such a deep, profound spiritual experience when I do breath work. And, but at the end of the day, like you said, one, you have to meet people where they are. But two, it really is also just releasing energy, like stuck, pent up stuff, whether you want to call it trauma or whatever, it's energy. And I love the fact that you keep it so simple because that's really, it's really what's happening. And I'm imagining that when you're coaching people, you were in situations where you're like, I don't care how much training I've had. I can't coach you out of this. Like I cannot, you have to get this out of you physically because if someone's listening for the first time, I mean, regular listeners are very familiar with this conversation, but if you're listening for the first time, we just explained to them again about the, the body being a living library and how, you know, what happens and why we need to release. Yeah. I mean, your body really keeps a record. Of everything. And I think, you know, we talked about avoidance earlier. So many of us, when we're faced with trauma, when we're faced with emotional events, when we don't actually complete that cycle of processing that, of crying when we need to cry, of saying and expressing our opinion and our words when they need to be expressed, of being anger and expressing that in healthy ways, that doesn't go away just because we avoid it. Our body really is a living library, like you say, and it will get stored in places that can manifest in physical ailments and disease later on. It literally translates into dis-ease of the body. And, you know, it's interesting because in 2000, I think it was 18, another thing that really helped me to begin my breathwork journey 
was in 2018, I was coming out of probably one of the most traumatic events in my life. Um, we were having just some extreme marital issues and um, we actually went through infidelity. We went through all kinds of just really hard things. And I was walking through that season with a smile. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm mature enough. I, you know, I not only forgive and I forgive myself and I forgive him and I forgive, I forgive. And all of it was just these words with a smile. That's all it was. It was words with a smile and an inability to know what to do with it and how to process it. And I remember going to see an iridologist. And what do iridologists do? They look at your eyes and they examine your body. And as she examined my body, she's also a reflexologist. One of the first conclusions that she came to was, I think a lot of the physical issues that you're dealing with right now, because I developed walking pneumonia of the lungs, if you don't know it, your lungs store and hold in Chinese medicine, they relate your lungs to grief. And so I was not expressing at the time. And so this iridologist was sharing with me, she's like, I feel like a lot of the things you're dealing with physically are tied to unforgiveness and grief. And I just remember looking at her and my eyes just wanted to bug out of my sockets because I come from a westernized medicine background. This is all brand new to me. And I remember thinking, how did she know that? But it's all connected to the idea that the body keeps a score. And so many of my physical issues at the time were related to the emotion that I was not processing. And so I also had that background when I came to breathwork. And I just saw breathwork as this amazing modality that I could use to help people alleviate the pressure of unprocessed crap, whatever that is, so that they could you know, figuratively clean out the closet and make room for what is to come in, you know, make room for that new space, make room for those new experiences. So yeah, I definitely don't fit the bill. I feel like when it comes to a somatic breathwork practitioner, like face. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad. Yeah, I right? love Because it. first of all, there's no um, way that you're supposed to look or act or behave. But as I said, most people do have a certain look, which I think is great. I love that look, but it's not you and it's not me and it's not joy. And I, I just want people to hear that, that don't judge all of it by the look. You don't, you don't look at it and think, well, I don't fit in or I don't look like that or I don't maybe believe what they believe. And let's just yeah. talk about that for a minute. Like, you know, we have listeners from so many different countries, so many different backgrounds, religious, not religious. But for those, just, just for a minute, please speak to the, the Christian listener who is looking at breath work the same way some of your friends looked at coaching and they, they may not be judging, but they're afraid of it. Like Holly, I would love to unpack and get rid of some of that trauma and energy, but Ooh, I've never heard of that before. And I don't know if I should do that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times with Christianity as your background, and especially if you've been raised in that for years, it's a part of like your social construct. I think many times we, like as Christians, we can look at things from this lens of so much fear. And what fear will do is it will cause you to say, okay, this is black or white. So, you know, it's, it's not good. It's, it's not something I can say is inherently good, but I can't prove that it's inherently bad. So it's off the table. Right. And so we just want to shut things out. And I think that's where being able to kind of uh, grow in yourself and ask yourself, like, where does that belief come from? Was that a belief that you actually developed through your personal relationship with God and your personal values? Or was that just something that you've heard? Is it something that you're maintaining because you want to fit in? 
you know, and I think for me, I realize the reason that I don't fit the mold, so to speak, of what a breathwork practitioner looks like is because I'm meant to bring this to communities like that who do have fear. Um, you know, six, seven years ago, I would have said no to breathwork too, because I would have automatically said, you know, that is a different religious background or that is a new age technique or whatever. But breathwork is just breathwork. Breathwork is neutral. You know, breathwork becomes something based on your personal intention and based on the people that you choose to partner with and whether you feel like it's a fit for you or not. You know, like that's why you have to choose people that you align with. But also when your intention is to see everything through the lens of fear, what are you going to get? You're going to get more things to be afraid of. (laughs) When your intention is to be open-minded, you're going to get possibilities. And so I just, I think to anybody who's listening from that background, I would say, I get it. I had many of the same questions and I had to go down my own trail of answering them. And I just came to that conclusion. Breathwork is neutral. It's what you put into it that makes it whatever, whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many varying degrees too. I was afraid of breathwork, not for any type of spiritual or religious reason. I was afraid because my body, my body was sensing uh, that's going to be big for you. And so I, I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't do it. And I'm glad, actually glad I honored myself and didn't do it. And then finally I did. And I said, but hold on a second. We are going slow. And I'm probably not going to breathe quite as deeply as you're telling me to breathe. And he was amazed at the little bit that I did, the release that I had. And he's like, you know yourself. Like, think I'm so good. And I am grateful I had a coach that honored my own autonomy and honored that choice and didn't push me. And so, yeah, it's one of the most beautiful gifts I've ever received. And I'm such a fan of it. I'm so grateful that you went to the training and became certified because we need more people doing that. I mean, I, I used to laugh about it, like, oh, breath work fixes everything. Just like what we used to say <laughs> with our product, you know, that I used to sell with yes. you, you know, that it fixes everything. Just rub some on it. I used to joke with friends about breath work, like, oh, yeah, you lost your job. Just do a little breath work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, it really is. It really is life changing. So, Holly, when you're looking at the women who, you know, right now there's a woman listening that that everyone's enjoying this. I guarantee that. But there are women listening right now that are like, okay, I I want more of that. I like what she's saying. She feels good to me. I feel like she matches my vibe. Like those women who feel drawn to you, what do you feel like are some of the biggest, I don't want to say issues, but but struggles they have that you keep seeing over and over again that you can help people with? Yeah, I think the biggest one is this performer's mindset of my worth my deservingness of love is tied to my performance. I think that's the biggest thing. I feel like, you know, just this idea of it's the to-do list. It's the to-do list. Like my day is as well spent as my to-do list was completed. And we're basing our entire life on these things to do and this mental list of who we're supposed to be instead of that felt sense of, no, how do I want my experience to feel within that? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think for me, the biggest thing is, you know, making this journey from our head into our heart, you know, because there are two different types of communication, you know, and being able to understand, like, how does your intuition speak to you? Like, if you could create an experience that feels good to you, if this doesn't feel right, what would that look like for you? And how can you lean into that? 
you know, I think that's why breathwork is such a great place to start because when you do something like breathwork, you're clearing out some of the old things like fears and limitations. But the whole second half of breathwork is about your purpose. It's about love. It's about gratitude. Mm -hmm. And when you intentionally invite those in, I think that so much clarity comes to you in your life. And all of a sudden, these little daily decisions that are so minute you can kind of zoom out and see like above the umbrella of that every mm-hmm, day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would definitely say this hustler's mentality and this idea that your worth is tied to your performance would be a big one. I think another second big one is the idea that growth can be sustainable. You know, a lot of women that I work with come to me because they're drawn and attracted to the idea of sustainable growth instead of this all or nothing mindset. (laughs) So that's been really fun to dive into it. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that when your background is performing for worth, it's like I said earlier with the keep doing what you're doing, just do more of it. You feel like if you can do more of it and you can find ways to hack productivity and to hack performance and to hack efficiency then that's better. But you burn out from that. You burn out, you will turn into overwhelm. You you just can't sustain. And so many of the women that I'm working with, they realize maybe they've built a career that they're incredibly proud of, but everything in their relationships and their family suffered because of it. And they want to step out of that and into like, how can we really prioritize the fulfillment of my heart And yes, let's grow in all the ways, but make it really sustainable and lasting. Not so much that like, okay, I commit to this thing and then I completely burn myself out and my body has to send myself into two months of sickness, you know, just to be able to get recovery and rest because I wasn't willing to give myself recovery and rest over here. Yes, I get it. And you know, I'm an example of that from the past. And what these women don't realize is that hustle and that constantly chasing the carrot and performing and achieving all that stuff, they don't realize until they do work with someone that that's not just hustling and chasing a carrot so that they can be successful. They have no idea that it's because it's not just that they're avoiding and numbing, that many of them are just trying to feel worthy. They have no idea until you they dig in. This is why coaches to me are so valuable and why really the only people I have on my show are coaches for the most part, because, you know, that's not something in my experience, not to knock all therapy, but that's not something usually you'll ever find with a therapist is connecting those dots of, Sally, do you realize that you're chasing, chasing, chasing because somewhere in there, your little girl doesn't feel like she's enough unless she is performing. And she might say, no, I don't feel that way. Well, then you dig in deeper and you realize it's a subconscious story she has running that she doesn't even know is there. Yeah, completely, completely. And, you know, and I say all this and the reason I can say this is because I was that person too, you know, and I had that little girl inside of me that needed to be healed. And it's painful to face that sometimes. It's very painful. It's hard. It's not easy. It's wrapped up in a lot of tears and a lot of frustration and learning to forgive yourself for all the years that you didn't know any better and you unintentionally hurt and traumatized people around you because you didn't know any better yourself, you know, and that that's, that's hard to face. It's really hard to face, but it's worth it. It's worth it because as you face that, you get to create this whole new reality for yourself, this whole new reality that gets to feel so much better than that. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap, I have one more question. If the person, if some people listening are saying, you know, I don't really have a to-do list, I'm not in hustle mode, 
you and I both know it's showing up somewhere. How does it show up maybe with their body, with their, you know, being afraid of aging, maybe the way they dress, their sex life, like maybe give a few more hints so that some people listening go, okay, wait a minute, maybe she is talking about me. Yeah. So I think if you began to look around your life and you start to notice, like if you really do an evaluation of how you're feeling throughout your day and begin to notice and become aware, like truly when you're not avoiding that, how are you feeling? I think that this can show up in a lot of ways like resentment, resentment in your relationships, you know, maybe because you're, you're hustling to be enough. And so you keep how you feel about something from truly being shared. You know, it can turn out in resentment. It can turn up in lots of libido uh, in relationships with your spouse. It can turn into, you know, your body. I think about, you know, just the ability that maybe you feel unable to relax. You know, that could be another one, too. I think also in terms of your body, it's just this feeling of dis-ease. You know, even if it hasn't manifested into that something that's that big of a, a thing, but just this, I do not feel at ease within my body and I can't put my finger as to why, I think that's a really, really, really good indicator that more digging is needed and there's things that need to be released there for sure. Mm -hmm. And another one I was just thinking of that I know a lot of women feel is, I don't say this out loud because I'm not someone who's like, let's say extremely overweight. I know I'm fairly attractive, but I really don't like the way I look because if I don't look perfect, oh my there's gosh, a problem. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, completely. And I think too, like when you start to examine some of your routines and rituals, like you said, if I don't look perfect, there's a problem. You know, it's going to look like uh, spending hours getting ready and putting things on that don't even bring you joy. Or for me, that looks like committing to those runs because I couldn't imagine my life in a size six or eight body when i had been known as a size two. You know, like how am I going to let go of that? I think that it's really good, Jill. It's really, really good. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, I was. Yeah. So, so much of my background, like when I was a teacher, I led running clubs around our community and I started running 5Ks, you know, straight out of college and the 5K, this was another character chase. So the 5K turned into the 10K, the 10K turned into the half marathon, the half marathon turned into coaching people to do half marathons. Marathon had to be a full marathon, and then we had to try to qualify for the Boston Marathon, and and I did. That was a whole piece of my life that I felt like I couldn't let go of because of like who would I be if I wasn't Holly the Runner anymore, and who would I be if my thighs didn't fit these pants anymore, you know? And it's crazy to look back because you see the fallacy of that and how immature it sounds now, <laughs> but at the time, your body is strapped to this. I have to get up and run today. Nothing in me wants to, but I have to. I think when you start to look around your life and you see that there's all these have tos and shoulds and must instead of get tos and enjoyment, I think that's a really, really good indicator that there's something there. Even if you don't feel like you're in this state of hustle or doing the to dos, are the things in your life bringing you joy? If they're not, it's worth getting curious about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So beautiful. Thank you so much for this time with us and sharing your wisdom and your own personal journey. You know, and I say this very often on this show that I am very, very selective about who I have on here. I'm very protective of this community. I'm honestly protective ego speaking here of my show. 
like whoever gets on here is a reflection of me. And I get pitched by people all the time, emails from agents saying, how about this person? They've written this book, however, and I just follow my heart. And you know, I wanted you on here from the very beginning. And I love the work you're doing. I honor the work you're doing. I trust you. You are endorsed by me. Like if someone wants to coach with you, you have turned yourself inside out. That's one of my requirements. You've invested financially also in your own growth and you still do. You don't just talk the talk. You're connected to the body and your integrity and honesty are on point. And you're not doing this for the money. You're welcoming any income that comes, but you don't do it for the money. And so you check all those boxes for me. And I... You know, I get asked all the time if I do coaching and I don't. And so I, you know, I, I only have people on that I would recommend. So if Holly resonates with you in any way, reach out to her, book a quick call with her to find out. Is that how you do it, Holly? You do like a discovery call to find out if you're a fit and if she's a fit for you. And she didn't ask me to say that. I'm just saying that. And Holly, how can they find you? Cause I love your Instagram account. How can they find you there? Yeah, I would say Instagram would probably be the easiest way just to go and scope out some things, different opportunities for how we can work together, even just free content. That might be a blessing to you. So I'm at Holly Pickerel, uh, just first name, last name. And then all of my resources are linked there in my link tree with how to book calls or how to get interested about breath work or start learning about that calendar. So I would be so grateful mm. to work with any of you. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks so much, Holly. Thank you so much, Dale. 